Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today we are on a little bit of a different journey and uh, we are exploring a little bit of a different subject that is marketing and how to do marketing right with Carissa. Carissa joined me today from Australia, so we're trying to synchronize the two time zone <laughs> and it's always a little bit challenging. We had some previous guests from Australia and it was always a little bit challenging to find the right time zone for everybody not to be asleep, but we managed to make it. So Carissa Breen uh, is a serious entrepreneur, but I'll let her introduce what's uh, hot in, in the market today and uh, what she's been doing about. Carissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really appreciate you having me here today. And I agree. I think in recent times, we've gone forward an hour in Sydney and you guys in the UK have gone back an hour. So it means that there's a, an additional two hours. So it's eight o'clock. A challenge. <laughs> well, it just makes the gap a lot harder. So I totally appreciate that. So I appreciate you getting up relatively early to, to do this podcast uh, in the tail end of my evening. But my journey actually is quite interesting because I don't, I mean, a lot of people that I interview on my show, usually they sort of were very clear in going into technology or cybersecurity. And for me, I, as a, as a teenager, I didn't really envision myself probably doing that. And simply because, I mean, when you're, you're at high and you're in high school, they sort of show you uh, lawyer, doctor, all those types of uh, stereotypical type of jobs and occupations, right? And IT was covered, but the way in which they sort of facilitated being an IT person was more around, oh, you're going to be the guy at school that comes and fixes their students' computers. And that didn't really sort of ring a bell for not me. Not very exciting. <laughs> no, not really. Because, I mean, that that's what was my understanding of it. I mean, this has gone back, you know, 2008, nine sort of days. So not like too long ago. So I can't even imagine people beyond that, what what sort of angle that they would have gotten. But then for me, I mean, I grew up in a different part of Australia. I, I grew up in the top top part of Australia. So then I moved to Sydney about 12 years ago. And then I did, you know, so many different jobs, various jobs. And for me, it was more around once I didn't like a job, I found a new one. And so eventually I ended up, I ended up working in uh, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, which uh, for context is the largest bank in Australia uh, and the 10th largest bank in the world. So I actually landed there in the broader IT space. And so I found that very interesting. There was a lot of different personalities. Uh, they were running quite large programs of work. I think specifically at that time, they had just wrapped up core banking modernization. It was quite a large program of work that ran for six years with like 7,000 people. But then one of the things that I started to get interested in was the security side of it because, again, I started to learn more about how much money the bank was losing in terms of, you know, credit card fraud, skimming, scamming, you know, people, cyber espionage, people stealing money in people's bank accounts. And so at the time, this probably would have been uh, 2013, 2014, I started to ask questions 
to uh, the CISO at the time. And he found it very interesting because, because he said no one really that's... Ask you know, about these things. <laughs> no, but not as directly as I did. And I, I know that you've got an Italian background and like my mom has an Italian background. So I guess it came very naturally to me. And he was really taken aback by that because I was junior at the time. So it's not like I was some super senior person. I was like, oh, like I'm really interested in this space. Like I just started asking him very direct questions. And I think he was quite, um, yeah, like I said, taken aback by it. He didn't expect it. And so for me, I started to ask those curious questions and he sort of said, that was something that really intrigued me about you. You asked the right questions, you were curious, and that is sort of, I guess, the main ingredients for a really good cybersecurity practitioner. And it was timely because they, at the time, were growing their team to about six, 700 people. Uh, so they did a massive upgrade in that space. They got a lot of funding. And so there I was, I landed as a cybersecurity reporting analyst. I had no experience, but one thing that I did have was the aptitude. I had the willingness. I wanted to learn. I knew that I had this drive and this hunger and probably more so than other people that I really knew. And so that's when I got into security in terms of having that internal role. And so part of my role there, and it's probably part of the genesis of what I've now done today in terms of my own company, but I used to develop all the cybersecurity board reports that the CISO would then present to his group executives and the CEO and all these types of people. And one of the sort of the key things to developing uh, reports is to understand the story, the landscape, as well as it followed up by metrics, but metrics that make sense. So it's not just reporting for reporting purposes. It's more about well, what are the insights that we can derive from doing this? So, for example, if you run a phishing simulation and then institutional banking, theirs is, you know, they had a huge compromise rate. Like, why is that? And so actually getting insight, because with the insight, it can actually inform your decision making. And it's something that, I mean, I don't know about you guys in the UK, but I mean, in Australia, we're still not at the maturation that we should be in terms of the capability of the reporting to really share that story to people that aren't from a technical background in technology themselves because a lot of the people that are handing us money are chief uh, financial officers and so it was probably from that moment that I started to understand the importance of storytelling as well as humanizing the message to, in order to get buy-in and get influence to get money from people that are not from a security background and so me probably having the entrepreneurial brain as I alluded to earlier of me just getting bored and doing something else I got promoted quite quickly. So I then became a group cyber uh, reporting analyst. So I then reported across all of CBA's subsidiaries, ASB and Bankwest. And then I started to sort of build the framework around, well, this is what good looks like. These are the metrics that we need to measure all of the banks and subsidiaries across. Again, I got really bored. And so for me, I then went into another role as a, I went in as a pen testing engagement lead. And so it wasn't me doing like the physical pen testing, but it was me understanding, okay, so you guys have done this test. These are, on the, these are all the vulnerabilities. I now need to take this back to the business to try to explain to them why we can't go live with their application, their project, whatever. And so I always seem to find myself in these roles that, hey, you're really good at talking and influencing and you understand what we do. You better go. And so I sort of found myself always in these meetings, always everyone defaulted to me because it was a hard conversation to have. Like, hey, internal project manager that you're KPI'd on delivering the project. 
by the way, I also need like half a million dollars in your budget that you did not account for. Uh, so where is it? And so you had to have these conversations because it was part of our non-negotiables policy. We can't go live so with a telling, project. Telling a good story to deliver to deliver a bad news or to deliver a news or to, to ask for funding. I don't know whether it was a good story, but I definitely think that it was a story and a challenge. And so I guess that's when I started to understand that there wasn't a lot of good camaraderie generated between the security team and then the business, right? And so like fast forward, I've done like, you know, I've went to other consulting firms and again, the same conversation kept coming up around this just isn't right for me. And so it was 2017, I quit my job. I had no clue what I was going to do, but I started to do rudimentary reconnaissance uh, to people in the industry. And I wasn't just going to sit there and create a security company like a lot of other people had done. I wanted to do something different, but also bring forward my skill sets that I'd learned historically and what people started to sort of say is, well, those are your strengths, KB, you should play to them. And so basically what I've now been doing over the last four and a half years is generated a Marcom's uh, agency that specialized in cybersecurity and deep technology, as well as a media run. Because I guess the one thing that we know in the industry is we need to talk about cybersecurity with each other, so an industry uh, perspective, but also other people out there that don't really understand about cybersecurity, mums and dads, the, the you know the Australian public, everyday people, because this this is incumbent and this is part of their everyday life too. And I I'm, I'm still struggling for people to uh, distill those messages down so that they can really understand what all this means for them as a consumer. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree, and thank you for the for the overviews because. I think you, you raise a couple of good points and very good point that cybersecurity or internet tech is challenging to communicate, especially for folks outside tech. And tech in general is getting more and more out there, but cybersecurity tend to be a very challenging, a very challenging subject. And uh, sometimes, even in, in business, we have to interface ourselves, as you rightfully said, with uh, CFOs or with people that are outside our industry, and we need to communicate fundamentally in terms that are not mm. traditionally what they would expect. And you, you rightfully say, you know, uh, uh, as a result of a pen test, you had to communicate vulnerability. If you tell vulnerability to a CFO, it says, not my language, no hablo vulnerability. It's like, what, <laughs> no hablo security. Care? So, yeah, absolutely right. And I think that was the struggle. And I kind of get that because, I mean, a lot of people in this space are introverted. I myself, I'm an ambivert, so I can be extroverted, but I'm also, I like, I'm very introverted. But I guess it's always been that strength around getting that influence. And I think that's a really hard skill to learn. And I think that that's something as a security practitioner, if you can really nail that, you'll forever have a job. And honestly, you will probably take your career significantly further if you want to. If you just want to be a pen tester and not speak to a human being ever again, then that's fine. But a lot I guess of there are a lot of jobs where you can be an analyst, where you can, I mean, you, it's a field where introverts can thrive and... I think there is an element on communication that it's key for any kind of business, you know, soft skill and interpersonal skill is mm. kind of a mandatory things. You can shy away, but really, if you want to have a stellar career, I think is it's it's kind of a must and it's, it's like interacting with people and can be a great technical person but you if you want to be a fantastic technical person you kind of need to edge it uh, or, or smoothen up those edges or or, or or communicate and we traditionally bad at communicating 
because it's a very technical field and we tend to get dragged in and bogged in in, in technicality without, as you rightfully say, it's understanding the narrative. So what was the kind of revelation for you when you start working with narrative around cybersecurity and report? What was the light bulb moment for you? I think it was having an understanding of like who you're talking to, because again, like when people talk about reporting, it's like, if I hand you a 50 page report, it's like, cool, thanks for that. What, what does this mean for me? And that was something I often saw. It's like, oh, we, we blocked all these threats. And it's like, cool, what does that mean though for a business as an outcome? That's the challenge that most people don't seem to quite understand. And I kind of understand why they don't get that. Because again, they don't put themselves in the shoes of the people that they're speaking to, right? And I see this happen even with, you know, products and services. It's like, but what is the outcome as I as a customer? What do I get from it? And I still find a lot of people struggle to even understand what the outcome is. And so I think the other, like the main word I like to use is discourse. So how I speak to you, Francesco, is one discourse. How I would speak to my mother is a different because she, you know, she's not a security person all that. So I need to change the language in which I communicate to that individual in order to get them to understand what I what I want from them. So if it's a CFO, okay, we blocked X amount of threats. As a result of that, you know, talk more on the numbers side of it. They're a numbers guy. So I think really understanding your audience and then try to architect your language in a way that resonates with the person that you're speaking to. And I think one of the the key things that really resonated with me is just not putting everyone under like the same blanket, like painting everyone with the same brush. People are different. What people care about is different. What a HR director cares about is very different to a CFO, a CEO. And also one of the things that's even recently that's been illuminated to me is a lot of these people have very like that, you know, self-interest. So what I mean by that is as a security person, you're going to see if I need more money, you're going to sort of say like, if we kind of, and you don't want to scare people, I don't believe in fear mongering, but what I do believe is the reality of the situation. And the thing is, the CEO is the first person something goes wrong. He's, he's out the door as well as a scientist. They're gone. So if you can sort of position it in a way where it impacts them as a human being that they don't want to lose their job, they don't want to lose their salary because they've got mortgages and kids and all these types of things. So if you can really angle it from that perspective, you're much more likely to get their buy-in and get them listening a lot more and not going in with, oh, hey, I've just done a test and all your security stuff's like really bad. Not the best way to frame the conversation in my experience. Punching somebody in the face is probably not the best way to start a conversation. But it happens. <laughs> it happens. I've seen it so many times. I've had people even removed off site because there was too much of that happening. So I think it's more about, well, what do I want to get from this person? And so you, you do have to play the game a little bit. You do have to, yes, of course, you're a security person, but you're not always the smartest guy in the room. So I think dropping the ego a little bit and then also positioning it in a way where it makes sense for this person to hand you over the money or whatever it is that you're trying to do. And I think that that's still a skill that people do need to learn in this space. It's not always about you. You're not there to practice security. You're there to secure something. So put it in ways that people can understand in order for them to go, okay, I do understand what she's talking about now. It makes sense, as well as having the metrics to back it up. Because you can't always just speak anecdotally. You do have to have science and mathematics. And great, this is you know the high level. This is the landscape. However, you know we do monthly reporting and this is what's coming up for us. These are the insights that derive from the reporting. Uh, so I think you need to marry the, the maths 
up a little bit with the narrative as well, but lead with the narrative. No, I, I really like your your dialing down the ego because I guess traditionally security people are always on the defense side and always on the attack. So it's always a fight and a, and a game. So and, and the role has changed dramatically. You know, security didn't even exist 10 years ago. You know, it was the, the, the guy in the back of the shop with the network and, and, and the other IT guys that were just on Linux and they were just managing access in the best glorified way or securing the thing. So security wasn't a thing and wasn't a thing in the broad spectrum of space. So I think the industry is still trying to figure out what their role is and what are all the roles because everybody has a job in these areas. You know, you had communication, we had HR, we had access control, you had risk management. And, you know, there is an enormous breadth of cybersecurity that has born in the past 10 years. And Mm. the traditional thing was, you know, I want to go in security, I'll become an analyst or a pen tester. That, that's traditionally what people think. Correct. And those are not the best to actually develop the soft skills. So they don't prepare you to prepare uh, or to start communicating. So No, you're absolutely right. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. If there was one thing that helped you a lot in your career or helped you with the narrative, what, what will be the toolkit to develop those soft skills and that narrative and that communication or empathy? I think really humanizing the message, right? So, I mean, if you were to talk to your friend about something, how would you sort of animate the story, get them to be excited about it? Because I read a lot of stuff and I'm like, I'm bored and I'm in this space. So imagine someone that's not even in this space, how they feel. So I think sort of putting yourself in the other person's shoes and like what would excite them really at the end of the day? And again, you need to always lead with, it's not really about me. It's about what can I do as a practitioner that actually helps serve the business? And like I said, a lot of people think it's all about them and practicing security. And I think that for me, yes, having that level of empathy. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of these guys you're speaking to, they're not going to get this stuff, but you don't also (laughs) have to patronize them either. I don't think that's the way forward. I don't think, I mean, I'm not an actuarialist. I have no idea on how to do that, but that doesn't mean that I'm an idiot. So why would it be fair if I say this actual earliest guy, and I probably didn't even say it right, and because he doesn't get what I do, I don't think that's then fair. But I often do see that there's a lot of, well, you don't understand what I'm saying. So I think that for me, it's understanding your audience, using language that resonates with people and humanizing it, understanding that you need to generate different discourses depending on who you're speaking to so don't just put everyone in the same bucket Uh, I think also using metaphors for things so if someone likes I don't know dogs or beekeeping just chuck a bit of that in there it's going to get them excited they can relate to they can relate to things right you got to find that security bee (laughs) (laughs) I don't know it's beekeeping I don't know if that's a thing but should be but I, I mean, 
those, those are commonalities and um, finding that common ground with someone. I think the other thing as well that really helped me, I actually did this drama course years ago and it was like so ridiculous the things that we had to do, but actually brought out uh, thinking on the spot, impromptu type of things and knowing that, you know, you think that everyone's judging everything that you say, but not really a lot of the time. So I guess getting past that as well, if you're presenting something. And I mean, it's not one silver bullet. Everyone's going to have their own things that works for them. But for me, I think it's it's evolving and it's constantly changing. Uh, and I think the other thing is look at what other people are doing in other industries. What's really resonating with them and how are they getting the buy-in as well? Because I believe that we're probably just not marketing or advertising things in a way that are really resonating with people. Because if we did, we probably wouldn't have half the challenges that we do have in this industry. Uh, we would probably have eliminated them. So I would say that that's 100% accurate in the way in which we're going about framing the conversation needs to change. No, I like I like that approach. I like the idea of the thinking outside the box. We we encourage a lot our our people and and our and our guys to actually go and join Toastmaster because Toastmaster has done exactly that for me and uh, removing from my own heads and you know going out and speaking and I guess drama drama I never thought about drama but is is a very good example of of how you can remove that fear of of speaking first of all or or interacting with another human being and that traditionally why we get so defensive, in, especially in cybersecurity, and, and, and trying to hide behind a wall of technical language and lingo and then attacking rather than having the empathy. And I think mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of that, absolutely. I subscribe to that, and I subscribe on, on dialing down the ego. And I think it's, it's admitting the fact that nobody in the room knows the whole pictures, being humble about it and being a little bit vulnerable that, you know, these are the problems, let's try to fix it together. Like, these are the problem, your problem now, bye. <laughs> I've done my cybersecurity job. And it's, it's that that level of dialing down the ego empathy that I think has helped a lot, uh, a lot of professional growing uh, across the organization. I mean, there will be always attack. There will be always the threatening. And then when you... I would suggest go back to the science, go back to the numbers. Because that's going to back it up, your argument, right? But just just sorry to cut in there. One of the things is what's that saying? Like you attract, I'm sorry to use the bee analogy again, you attract bees with honey, not vinegar. So going in there and attacking someone, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to be like, oh, that's cool, Francesco. They're going to be like, oh, we'll stuff you, man. That's exactly what's going to be the response. So think about it. And I think the other thing is just to add to the toolkit, like I've studied consumer buying, behavioral science, how people operate in society, how they connect with brands. All this is important into crafting that message really at the end of the day, because we're human beings. We can't configure us and then we operate a certain way. And then you're dealing with multiple personalities, multiple people's feelings. Maybe that guy had an off day and you're going to go present to him. So it's going to be even harder for you. So I think really understanding that human beings, unfortunately, there's no syntax to them. So really understanding from that emotional. And I think that's probably the main thing that really lacks in this space. No, it's, it's brilliant. And then maybe on, on, the, on the left field a little bit, how was for you, how difficult for you was to pivot from, you know, your career or, or breaching in fundamentally cybersecurity as a woman in the field, as a tech woman in the field? How, how did you find it challenging or what has helped or what, what ha- didn't help? 
Yes, you're absolutely. I did find it challenging. I think, I mean, when I was working at CBA, I, I was doing the report and this lady, she comes up to me and then she actually said it in front of other people, which was kind of disheartening. She said, I think you should focus on fashion reporting rather than cyber security reporting. I just went silent. And I think everyone around me was like, what on earth? Like it was a very harsh thing to say, very inappropriate. I mean, that was going back like six, seven years ago. So for me, I think now as I've I've aged, but also I've got perspective is I have a level of empathy, like the fact that you're that bitter inside, there's something wrong with you, not with me. Uh, but one of the things, one of the things I could have done is gone, this industry isn't right for me and I drop out. But then that's unfortunate because that means the industry loses a person that we need. And so I think for me that you're... And diversity. That's true. But then I feel like a lot of people talk about diversity, but when they get it, they don't like it because it's like, oh, you're something different. I don't, I can't, I know what's going on here. And so I think for me, I had to have that level of temerity and resilience that was probably even harder. And I'm not because I was a female, probably because I was a younger female as well. I didn't look like a typical uh, tech person either. So I had to really challenge the stereotype, the status quo. Then I think of as a result of doing that, it's actually worked for me in the end. But that, of course, has gone through blood, sweat and tears. Like I didn't just get there overnight. And so I think for anyone, one thing, I was actually having this conversation today with someone earlier and I said, what I put up with when I was younger, I would not put up with today. And I'm not afraid to check people on how they speak to people or to any, like to myself or anyone else, because I think it's maybe some people don't actually, they're not, they're not aware of how they speak. And it's male and female, not just, not just males to women. I just want to make a note of that. So I think also having that level of respect for yourself to push back and say like, hey, I don't like the way you're speaking to me. That person may take it on and be like, oh, I didn't realize I was coming across that way. Because I know that some people may not mean the way that they come across at all uh, because there could be a language barrier. It could be different culture. Like you don't know and you never want to assume or judge. Uh, but for me, I think that... Pointing it out. Absolutely. And I think it was, I, if I was weaker, I would have left for sure. But would have would have helped you having you know uh, and and I don't know if if you went into that field and you were the first woman in 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 that kind of group or not would have helped you having that more safe space or having kind of a reference figure or, or somebody else representation somebody that represented that role would have made a difference in your opinion in the leadership team in into a higher role I think so and I think it's always hard in corporations because when you're climbing and I was sort of progressing through my career quite quickly and I remember someone getting upset about it well I think multiple people got upset because I was like well that's on you I'm the one that took the bull by its horn and I'm the one that's saying I'm going out and getting another job I was the one that was persistent to the point where HR came down, like you can't keep changing roles so quickly, you can't do that. And so I, I didn't care about that. And I was like, well, that's on your, that's on you that you didn't want to be as aggressive as I wanted to be in my career. And I think that for me, in corporate, I don't understand, like we got to sort of pull other people up. Like it's not a zero sum game. If I win, it doesn't mean that you lose. And I think, you know, you've got to have the right type of people to actually win. I I wish there was more of those people, and there were. There probably wasn't in some of the organisations that I worked in specifically, but there there was in a broader field, and they really helped me to keep going. And that was men and women to say, like, you got to keep going. You know, you've got a lot of talent. I don't want you to, you know, leave. That would be disappointing. And I think that I think it's just going to take time in terms of maturation. I don't think we're going. There's going to be again. There's no silver bullet to it. Like flick, lot of a switch. We change the way we are and how we operate. 
But I think as well, like it comes down to basic advertising. So for me, if they're talking about we want to get more women in the field, maybe they should lead with a woman at the front doing that probably rather than a man. Because I mean, it's almost like saying like a meat eating person trying to sell vegan like commercials. Like it doesn't, people are like, what? (laughs) Doesn't resonate. It doesn't resonate, but that's exactly what we're doing in this field. So why would a female feel like this propensity to work in this space where all she kind of sees is males? Man, no, I do agree. Representation matters. It matters even more than anything else other than, you know, the marketing and advertisement. It's 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 difficult, though, to have the new generation, you know. It, it will take time for more mature professional to mature in there. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of my friends actually borrowing people from different uh, sectors to actually bridge that diversity gap. And and I think oh that was a gosh. brilliant thing to do. Like as in borrowing them, like to use them for the advertising? No, 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 no. Not in that oh, sense. I was going to say, that's false Taking them from pivoting, pivoting from one field to the other. So I've oh, seen people okay, from the you. medical profession into gotcha. risk management, like proper pivoting, not not borrowing, like just more oh, representation. Like, wow, Absolutely that's not. complete false advertising. Oh, look at all these females. Okay, you can go back now. Um, <laughs> that would have been terrible. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> but that's the other thing, right? That Like they talk about, like, I don't know, you see the stuff on LinkedIn, it's like, oh, we want to hire someone, but you need to have like 25 years of experience, 75 certifications, one university degree. Where are they getting these people from? Like where? From pot plants, clearly. They don't exist. And then they complain that we don't have anyone. Yeah, I guess the blue team are, are constantly understaffed because of those super high requirements and burnout. You know, nobody nobody's gonna be perfect in cyber. And no one knows everything. And I think the game's changing. And you don't necessarily need a degree. I don't think you need a degree at all. Because attacker don't have a degree. <laughs> exactly what I said. I've said this publicly. An attacker doesn't have a structured way of learning like we learn at university. They don't. They just learn to break stuff and that's it. Once they get in, they don't care. There's no, oh, you know, this is, I'm going to write it all down. I'm going to teach people, maybe, but not not in the same way that a university degree. And that's why that we need the diversity in order to combat the crime. Because if we all thought the way I thought or how you think, it's not going to generate the same impact or result. And we'll be boring. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> There'd be a lot of people challenging the industry. <laughs> if everybody thinks in the same way. Absolutely. So then I kind of, it, it almost feels like we say we want people with diversity, but when we get them, we don't want them. So I don't understand that. Do you? No, I don't. Honestly, I, I do agree with you. I, I don't. And and I think it's a learning path and a learning curve on, on how to twist and spin this thing. And it's a trial and error. Um, but I, sure. I do think the perfect formula is representation because if if you remove anything and you leave that at the core, you you will feel safe if you see another person of your same shape, gender, and and color if if you want uh, on the opposite side. So you it is a it's a basic human thing. You will feel safe. You will feel in a tribe that belongs to you. If you are the only one that is different in a tribe, you will struggle especially if you start from the law. So. But that goes back to that behavioural science with tribal people. No one wants to be the odd one out. Yeah. So we, we gravitate towards people that are familial, that we know, that have common interests. But if it's like, oh, well, you know, let's get women in here, but let's put seven dudes up. Like it's not, it doesn't get the impact. So this this is basic old school advertising in my opinion. Um, this isn't new school stuff. 
I agree. It's 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 a bit challenging on the other end. You know, you get you get an advertisement now and then you get like four hundred dudes and maybe one woman. So sometimes it's difficult, and you don't want to. You still want to maintain a conversation based on meritocracy. You don't want to just uh, pave the way just because you're a different gender and things. So you will prefer it, but you know, keep it fair. But and just on that note, as, sorry to cut you off. Just this is a very passionate topic of mine. Is you also want people on merit as well? Because one of the where I don't know if you remember in the industry, and I think it's sort of come back in the middle a little bit. It was like, oh, well, let's just hire females for the sake of it, and that was sort of a bit insulting because it's like, well, I want to lose a deal because I'm not good enough, or win one because I'm not, you know, because I am good enough. And I think there was became a moment a few years ago where it's like, well, let's just get women off the street because we need numbers. <laughs> That, that is not the most positive message. <laughs> it's not, right? And that's what was – so it was like, okay, so am I here because I'm a female or because I deserve to be? And I think that really rocked a lot of people. And then, of course, you got men getting upset going, well, hang on, I deserve to get the role and she got it because she was a female. So what does that generate? The wrong type of environment to people and it fosters the wrong culture. So – I get the, I, t- I totally understand the motivation, but the execution was, was off. And then so I, there was a lot of that happening. I think it's sort of calmed down a little bit now. There's no quotas or any of that stuff because I think that that was the nightmare. I agree. I totally agree. And, and it delivered a bad message on the industry. But I guess it broke the camel back and I guess it changed the dial. And it's a trial and error. It's, 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 a new, it's a new areas where people need to learn. And we learn by trial and error. Unfortunately, trial True. and error on human is not the best topic. But you know. <laughs> No, not always. Not if you're in the middle of it. No. Yeah. Anyway, we almost come at the time. So we, we talk about really tough subject, but we want to leave with a with a positive message uh, on, on on where we are or where we are with with this uh, woman in cyber, woman in tech, uh, and in general in, in the industry. So, uh, Chris, leave us with a positive message. Look, I think at the end of the day that no matter who you are, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like you, that's not going to agree with you, um, and you could be the best basketball player in the world and someone won't like that, you know, the way you did your last shot, for example. So I think that understanding that once you get to that place where some people like you and some people won't, that'll sort of give you the the encouragement to move forward and know that you are going to get pushed back and you are going to get no's. But I think that that doesn't always define who you are and that doesn't define your success. And I think that when you get those no's and you get the um, the pushback, it means it builds that resiliency to keep going. It also teaches you a lot about yourself as well. And like even to our point before that, you know, there is that trial and that error. And I think the other thing is as well, when you do things you don't like, you start to really figure out what you do like and you start to gravitate towards companies and people that you would like to work in. So I think that, you know, it is a journey. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think with any person looking to stay in this field or to get to that level of success, it does take a lot of commitment. Um, but again, it's up to you to determine what level of success that you want and to start mobilizing in that direction. Right. Thank you so much for the positive message. And if, if people want to find you, want to find more about what you do or, or find you on, on social, how they, how they can find you? What's the best way to reach out to you? I think the best way is uh, on Twitter. So I'm Carissa Breen or on LinkedIn, which is Carissa A. Breen. Thank you very much, Francesco, for having me. 
Brilliant. Thank you very much, Carissa, for coming and for staying up late. <laughs> it's been an it's absolute like, pleasure. It's not that but it's... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Everyone, thank you for listening to the show and stay safe and push on diversity in the right way. This is Francesco, your host. Stay safe. Goodbye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.